You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh. Proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. LFG-Oz.com.au Or you could visit their store in Canberra. It's in the ACT. For all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. Well, surprise, surprise, there's one, two, three dice men in a room. And one of them is over Fiddy. Yes, he is. <laughs> because it is episode 350 350 of the Dice Men Cometh. And look, I don't know about you guys, but there's not really anything special about 350. The What is special is that you tee up a joke and you still can't press the button correct after 350 episodes. I need about 350. What's 350? $3.50. There you go. See, that amazing soundbite from an amazing South Park episode pales in comparison to what Mark can do with the slip of a big old chunky finger at any given time. The magic of editing, it might no, sound good. not in a million years are you editing that out. <laughs> that was absolute. Anyway, fun. the whole point of that is to say that the three of us are here in the Dice Men Studios recording episode 350, now coming towards our 10th year Wow! of recording these podcasts. And we haven't aged a day. No. Not one. No, not a grey hair to be seen. <laughs> not an got, extra pound. I've barely got any hair at all anymore. That is correct. I've got two Leon. children and no hair. That definitely didn't happen when we first started this show. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, just for the sake of it, it's episode 350. I need about 350. What's 350? $3.50. There you go. And so we've got a jam-packed episode 350 for you. Um, we're going to talk about, not 350, but just three games that That's we've right. been playing lately. There's a couple of them are sort of a little bit hot right now. Yeah, they are. So so we have just been spending some time jumping in and out of boxes, Leon, haven't we? We certainly have. Um, but speaking of hot, we do need to mention that if for some reason you can hear sound in the background of this episode, that's because there's a fan going on in this room. Because <laughs> We've got it, heaps of fans. Because it is unmarried child hot in this room at the moment, <laughs> but we're still going to push through for your entertainment. Yes. yes, it was a very warm day here in Hobart, and it's a very warm evening now when we're recording, but yes... We're going to talk about Cat in the Box. If only there were some sort of beverages we could do to use to cool us. Mm. Oh, we save those for our Patreon episodes, Leon. And then, Oops. Garth, you're going to talk about another hot game. Well, look, I mean, if there is a day to go to the beach and put your towel on a beach, mm. today is that day. Mm. So, yes, we will talk about a game. What about putting a towel on a beach? And then a game that just has a property that's perpetually hot. Of course, I'm talking about the... The X-Men, who are part of Marvel, because X-Men are coming back, I hear. It's a thing. Yes, I was reading X-Men comics all day today, other than, you know, doing my job at work. Other there, than that, I was reading the comics. There you go. And the third game that's going to hit our table, or at least our microphones, is Marvel Remix. Certainly is going to be enjoyable, because Cats and Marvel are two of my favouritest things in the world. There you Whereas go. Whereas Sand 
It's in the opposite scale. Well, in that case, you need a towel um, to protect your little tootsies. There's, there's a towel in South Park, did you know? I could get some clips off of that if you like. <laughs> well, uh, maybe I not. I don't think we could probably release that. No, no, maybe not. Anyway, you're here on episode 350 with The Dice Man Cometh. We'll be back shortly to talk about games. Hello, hello, Ignacy Cevicek, Portal Games, and you're listening to The Dice Man Comet. Uh, have a great time. The Dice Man Comet! Well, there you go, we're back. Now, Leon, are you ready to put a cat in a box, or out of a box, or something? No, not particularly, because mainly if I were to do that... With the exception of doing it for a few seconds of, you know, funny entertainment to take a funny photo, my wife would be very concerned about what I'm doing with her fur babies. Uh, and also the fact that, a uh, bit of a peek behind the Dice Man curtain, we only played this game about half an hour ago, but <laughs> we're now going to talk about it because I got it a little while ago, and that is Cat in the Box, the Deluxe Edition by Bezier Games, and it is designed by... Here we go. I'm going to have a crack. Good. I'm going to try my best, and I apologise in advance if I get it incorrect. Uh... Moniyuki Yokuchi. Excellent. There you go. That could possibly be the name of the designer. I do apologize. He is a Japanese designer. I love you and I love your country. One, 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 one. So he, the original version of this came out about a couple of years ago. I'd never heard of it. You guys have never heard of it. Uh, but then this deluxe version of it came out and all of a sudden, a lot of people are talking about it. What it is, is a trick-taking game. Now for us old, hairless, grey, old fellas... A trick-taking game have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, but in terms of the modern board game aesthetic, it's not really a thing that much. There's a whole a whole genre, but in terms of the hotness, it's never been... When was the last time you can remember a hot trick-taking game? Ever? Well, there's, there's Crew. Crew is a trick-taking game? It is, yes. But it's co-op, and who wants to play a co-op game? <laughs> I do. Can we play the Crew? It's really yeah. good. No! And you play the crew too now. No one plays the original crew. That's gruesome. And a lot of people mistakenly have been talking about Scout. Not a particular fan of it. But anyway, as a trick-taking game, which of course it's not. It's sort of a combination of a ladder climbing game and a, a shedding game. Where you're just trying to get rid of all your cards. You're not actually trying to win the tricks. I've got a ladder in my shed already. There you go. All right, Leon. But this tell us, here's the trick taking. Tell us about some cats. Well, I'm going to tell you about some cats. So the purpose of this game is to get the certain amount of points which you're going to get by winning tricks. Did you know that, Leon? Game. I did. Really? Yeah. Okay. I just thought I'd mention it at the, at the start. All right. Uh, so this is it didn't a... seem like that half an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll get to my atrocious score <laughs> at some point. Uh, so this is a two to five game, two to five player game. There are special rules for two players. We did not do that. We played at that three, which apparently is the optimal number for this mm. game according to the BGGs. Two or four is where it's at and it takes this says half an hour doesn't take half an hour no you can learn it in about two minutes and it takes about 15 or so minutes if you're not procrastinating which of course we did anyway because that's what we tend to do and it says for 14 plus again not true in the slightest somebody with a grasp of simple mathematics you'll be absolutely laughing do really you, leon will you be really laughing no i was i was, I was doing some screamings <laughs> do you think though that children under 14 might be a bit bothered upset 
distressed by the thought of putting a cat in a box and that's why they made it 14 plus or is it just a bit tricky and it should be 14 plus leon but the thing is though it's not that yes they're in boxes but it's for science mark and scientists would never mistreat any animals ever no so you know of course you're absolutely fine in that regard it's probably because it's also potentially a choking hazard with these tiny little sort of bits of uh, what plastic sort of tokens that you can have oh because i was thinking it was you know in the original experiment with schrodinger's cat there was the poison in the box as well and the thing is because you didn't know about whether the cat was dead or alive until you opened the box it was both but there was poison involved yeah but poisoning cats is not nice we're, we're making this a bit more fun in that it, we're just pretending you don't know what the color of the cat is until it's revealed <laughs> okay. isn't that a bit more fun yeah let's let's keep this upbeat as opposed yeah. to poison yeah. mark the more important question is how much does this game cost and does it cost the dice man comes! you've done it again you've done it a second time that you are not editing out of this episode <laughs> Oh, hey, yeah. What, 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 what? Hey, Leon, does it cost? Yep. I need about three fifty. What's three fifty? Three dollars and fifty cents. I'm sadly, it cost more than Garth. You're right there with your no. your head in your hand. No. Uh, yes, it did cost a little bit more than three fifty. I must say, which is you know, it has some nice components though. For a small box game, it has some very nice little mm. uh, plastic components. All right, so it's a trick-taking game. It's yep. about cats. Is there anything else I need to know, or is that it? Not really, to be perfectly honest, but let's have a crack anyway. <laughs> so what you're going to do to set up this game is you're going to place a board in front of you, depending on how many players you're going to have, and you're going to slit in some little cards here that have the numbers from one to six, or you, there are variants where you can have different numbers on different rows, but you'll get to that if you play variations of this game. Uh, but in the base game that we played, you had numbers one to six of four different colours. Red, which is considered the trump suit of this game, which if people that have played Tricking Game will know what that is. If you haven't, it basically means that that colour is more important and will score you points before any other colour. Yeah, it's it's more powerful than any others. Think your rockets in the crew mm. or your submarines in the crew too. Yes. It is very, very powerful and important. And then you have blue, yellow, and red in those numbers. And we're going to get a little card in front of you that also has those colours on them. And you're then going to get dealt out a certain number of cards, which are cats in boxes, mm. depending on the amount of players you're going to get dealt out. We had 10 cards each in our game, and then you decided to get rid of one. And those cards, they have a number on it. They have a cute little cat in the middle, but they don't have a colour. Because in this game... Where the experiment comes in is that you're not going to assign a uh, colour to the number that you have until you place it down in front of you. Therein lies what I would say is the game of this mm, game. And that's right, because it's a puzzle yeah. where you have up to five of each number, in our case where we played the three players one to six, but there's only four colours. Dun, dun, dun! Yes. And you think, well, why can't you play the other one? Because that little board I said that you put out in front of you, if I were to, say, be the opening player and put down uh, a five on the yellow side of my player board, I would then take one of my cool little plastic tokens, which are either um, a scientific beaker or a little planet or a little atom symbol, very cool little plastic things, and I would put it on that five yellow on the main middle board, which says that yellow is the suit that is for this round as well as no one can else can play five yellow for the rest of this round even after this little trick is done and therein again lies when the decision making starts coming in because 
not like other trick-taking games where someone, say, plays a heart, and then you go, well, I've got a heart in my hand, so I've got to play a heart. No, because none of these cards have colours. If Leon plays a five yellow, Mark could go, well, I could just throw away here. I could just play a one blue if I wanted, because I don't want to spend a card doing something else. Or I could definitely win this by playing a red, which is the trump. But, again, there's a catch, because there's a game involved here, <laughs> in that if you play a colour that isn't the one that was originally put out, you then have to take a token off your player board, and you cannot play that coloured card for the rest of the round. Yeah, you're basically indicating that of the cards in my hand, which currently haven't been assigned colours yet, you're declaring that none of them are the colour that you led with. Yeah. And, and that initially starts your brain melting, mm. because a lot of sneaky trick-taking people will you know try and get rid of one suit of cards so that they can then just go bang, 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 bang and, and, and get rid of cards the other way. But this is it's not a viable strategy necessarily in this game. Or is it? And even at that, that first step where, Leon, you said you decide to throw away a card, but I think you'll find the rules say you must. Mm. Um, but the decision is which card do you throw away? And as you said, Garth, normally, if you're playing a trick-taking game, you would try and short-suit yourself or... How do you short suit yourself when you don't know what the colours are going to be? Yeah, it's kind of all over the shop. It and is. the thing is, your turn is literally, you have to play a card. And if you're the first player, you, you get to choose the colour you're going to play. But everyone else then kind of has to either, you know, follow suit or go the Trump route or whatever else. But that's all the game is. However, there is then a humongous amount of strategy on how you're going to play the cards in your hand and figure out the rest of this round to try and score the most points off the one action that you can only do during this game. Mm. So it's all it's all in your head. <laughs> uh, well, well the, the, the thing I really like about this game is that it starts before the first turn yeah. in that it's starting with everyone discarding a card of their choice from their hand secretly. So who knows what everyone's discarded. It could mean that there's a number on the board that's pretty much not going to come up at all. Yeah. It could be a high card, it could be a low card. And this is where we talked about it while we're playing is... Do you want to have a lot of numbers of, of various denominations in your hand? Or do you want to ideally have a couple of the one number? Mm. My strategy was to try and have something of everything in there. So routinely I was getting rid of fours or fives or sixes, which were the sort of the highest cards in our particular game. But that's because I had two or three of them where I only had one one or one two and I wanted to keep them because invariably I'm going to need to play it to try and follow suit. Yeah. So the reason why you might want a lot of numbers of the same is because you know, A, most likely someone else doesn't have that number, or if you've got you know four or five of them, it's nearly a guarantee. So that will add into your strategy. But a little thing that I missed out, which is something you do again before the game even starts, is that you have on your little player board certain numbers, again, depending on the player count, that you are going to bet, essentially, how many tricks you think you're going to win in this round. You'll look at the cards left in your hand, and based on that, how many high ones you have, or how many lots of the same number, you'll guess, in our case, in a three-player game, you can guess between one, three, or four. And straight away, as soon as I saw that, a lot of people, probably like me, they go, oh, that's irritating, because two's a nice little safe mm. bet, isn't it? But no, you've got to go one, which is a bit of a, well, oh, my hand's horrible kind of thing. <laughs> Or, and if you don't back yourself to win more than one, what are you doing? Yes. Uh, or three or four. And what's going to happen is if you win that exact number of tricks, you're not going to score the one or the three or the four points. What you're going to do is you're going to score points based off 
the little tokens you put on that central board that are the biggest cluster you have altogether. So tokens that are touching each other vertically or horizontally. So that's why, for instance, one of the games, I had four ones in my hand, and you think, well, you want to get rid of all them, Leon, because you don't want low cards. What I have got there is potentially four of my yeah. same symbol in a row on the board if I can figure out a way to do this properly. <laughs> exactly. Now, I didn't at all because I'm horrendous <laughs> at this game, which we'll tell you when we get to the scores. But again, an extra little layer on a game that has you doing just one action over and over again. Yep. So you'll keep doing that. You'll keep playing every time everyone's played a card. Someone will take that trick. They'll take that all the collection of those cards to put in front of them to show that they've got a point. And then you'll keep going until one of two things happens. Either everyone's got one card left, and then the round ends, and then you score the round. And in which case, everybody that's got you know a stack of cards that they won, that's counted as one point. And then if you've bet the correct amount, then you will score your cluster in the middle. However, what will happen most likely to Leon, most likely, <laughs> is what you will happen is it'll come to probably later in the round, but it could happen earlier if you've kind of done some weird dodgy decisions, you will create a paradox. Because this game is, even though it's a trick-taking game with kind of small, simple components, it is kind of thematic and weird in, in an odd way. In that, if you cause a paradox, is that you flat out can't play a card. You go, well, I've got all these twos left, but there's no spaces for twos on the board. Oh, but I've got this three, but I can't play it in the color that's left because I've screwed that up earlier and I can't play in that color anymore. I've created a paradox. You'd think, oh, that's the end of the round. That's no good, because now every trick that you've won that turn is going to be worth minus points. <laughs> so that happens to Leon several <laughs> times in a row. And you keep doing this. You have as many rounds as you have players, and you keep going, and then you tally out the scores, and there's your winner. That's your trick-taking game about cats yes. in a box. And there is the, the one interesting wrinkle. You did mention, Leon, you play until... <clears throat> You have one card left. Yeah. So obviously you do have an opportunity to hold back one card that you can't play. But it, I just found that decision on when to say, no, I don't think I have any more of that color. I want to go into Trump's or I want to go somewhere else. The timing of that is critical. In fact, what we found in the last hand was I would have caused a paradox in the very last round of the game because I had uh, made that decision slightly early, but it, Luckily, Leon, yep. you made a paradox before me, <laughs> yep. which meant I didn't make a paradox at all, well, and I, I didn't get any negative points. I thought that was the point of the game. And in terms <laughs> of that, I definitely won. There's you, no doubt about that. I caused the most paradoxes, so I won that. And well, that's the interesting thing, is that I didn't not follow suit ever. So I didn't at all during the yep. course of the game say, I haven't got any green cards left, and... and prevent myself from being able to, to play green in the future. I didn't see the benefit of it in the games that we were playing, and that's that's fine. Did it work? Well, it was okay. Mm -hmm. um, but this it, it's a really interesting way of making each of these cards, which are coloured but aren't coloured, until you decide to make a colour of them, be coloured. Because all of the cards are black and white, and they only become a colour when you place your token on the research board, I think it is in the middle, but it's the easy way to say, of course, there's only going to be one of each number yeah. of each colour. Is that only one person can play each coloured number once per round? It's it's It makes perfect sense. 
once you've played it a little bit. Once you've played it a little yeah. If you, you have to watch a few how-to videos on this, although there is a Rodney, so of course there is the best out there explaining it to you. And you might go, this is so simple, why is it not kind of clicking in? But then you play round, one round and you go, oh, oh, I get it. It's definitely mm. one of those kind of games. And it's where, you know, normally you get a hand and you go, oh, wow, I've got three sixes out of my, my nine cards I'm going to use. I'm going to keep all of them because six is the highest number in a three-player game, so I can't lose. I'm going to bid that I'm going to win four tricks. Oh, this game's a piece of cake. And then someone plays one six mm. and they win that trick because yeah. you don't want to break suit and not be able to play that suit anymore. Then they might sort of play in that same suit and that suit is then completely blocked now. And then they might go, oh, actually, I'm going to not have any more of that color. And now I'm going to play trumps and that's a six and stuff. And, and like your, your plan just falls apart really, 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 really quickly, doesn't it, Leon? Uh, yes, yes, it certainly <laughs> Did does. Did you have a plan? Uh, I had a plan in that I had, I think, in the last round, I had two sixes and I think maybe two fives. And I thought, well, statistically, those guys might have split the other ones. Well, most likely, because there's only three cards out of the game out of the, you know, the 30 possible. So they probably have them. But with these, I've got a fair chance. But no... Just the way you guys played, it just perfectly worked out that I never had a chance to play them because by the time I could play them, I wasn't invited to that colour anymore because I'd, I'd have to get out of there sooner to try and, ah, oh, it was an absolute mess. And the, the other sort of simple thing is the, the bidding aspect of it, where in our game you could bid one or three or four tricks. But that's out of eight tricks that's going to be happening in this, this round. Now, a lot of the time in trick-taking games, if you've got a kick-ass hand, you want to go, okay, I'm going to bid six. I'm going to be able to do that. But you can't. You can find to this one or three or four. So there's as much an element of I need to lose tricks as there is to win tricks yeah. because you can get on a roll that you don't want to be on and it's hard to get off. Imagine be, imagine accidentally winning a trick that you didn't want to. I can't imagine that because <laughs> I couldn't win any tricks that I wanted to. But it is a thing that could possibly happen in this game. So like I said, the, the depth of strategy of this game is humongous for something so incredibly simple. And I think this is the reason why this game has got so much attention and why I even heard of it in the first place. Obviously, the name intrigued to me because it's a card game and it's about cats and I like those two things. But the simple fact that I've heard of it, I don't just think it was a theme, because this, like I said, this game did come out a few years earlier, possibly just in Japan, but the game doesn't need any language barrier other than English rules, so it could have been released and it could have been huge, a la like Love Letter when it first came out and it was German, but it yeah. still went around the world very successfully. Japanese. Japanese, sorry. I was thinking of something else there for a second. Um, yeah, well, there you go. The, the Japanese people are very good at small card games. They there you go. Are. Well, they have Nintendo, and that's what the Nintendo company was invented. In. And look, right. I think you know this. So I'm very familiar with trick-taking games. Played a lot of 500, growing up, and the Navy and everything like that. So it was easy for me to grasp. But also, as an example, in the Rodney video, he basically took it back to basics where he treated it as if you'd never played a trick-taking game before, explained those concepts, and it's not actually that difficult. So I certainly can see that this could be played by experienced trick-taking players and people who've never come across a trick-taking game before. I'd be more than comfortable teaching this to my kids. Yeah. Yeah, my daughter's 12. She would have no problem at all mm. understanding that game pretty, pretty quick smart. Mm. Yeah, and, and the idea of 
somebody like i said teaching this to like you know their someone of our age teaching it to our parents you know who were in their 60s or 70s that kind of idea uh and younger kids as well saying you know like, oh dad you might like this because you know all the trick-taking games you and the boys used to play on you know uh card game night or like i said if you're in the services or whatever else um it's like that and then you say to the kids there's about cats in the box <laughs> and you know it's a new kind of game that we haven't played that much of late because you know it's not like i said trick-taking games have just disappeared from the hobby but they're not they're not the hotness that's for sure mm. so to have something like this that kind of has a theme to it that actually does work thematically for the game and it's a thing that a lot of people like in that we're just animals in general but i'm not like there's not even heaps of art in it but it's just simple enough that it works well yes it is but I must say, the theme is, like, who who really gives a rat's about the yeah, theme yeah, in yeah. this? Yeah, 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 but at least like, it's something. It could have so easily been absolutely nothing. Correct. But at least it's something. In all fairness, I am not even noticing that I'm playing a game about cats. I'm playing a game about numbers. But it's got cute little cats in the middle of the card, Garth. Yeah, but you don't look at them. The numbers are in the top left corner. Yeah, and it's just, it's, either way, it's, it's... And I'm not a cat person. So why is it not called Dog in a Box? Because then I might be interested. Put, you can't put dogs in boxes because they're um they're too stupid and unobedient to do what they're told. No one would want to, Garth, because they love them so much. And dogs just go, get me out of the box! And they'd bust the box up. Whereas cats are so compliant and stupid, they just lie in a box. Compliant and stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most liberal thing I've ever heard you say in my life. Haven't we already got sacks for cats, though? Oh, let's not talk about that. But you know what episode it is? I need about tree fitting. And on that note, we'll take a short break and be back with more after this. Hey everyone, it's Mac Leeson and you're listening to The Dice Man Cometh. They say you should never meet your heroes. Well, it's a good thing the Dice Men are not my heroes, because when I did meet them, they were a bunch of really nice guys. I also recommend supporting them on Patreon to get access to their secret episodes. They're like a good board game expansion. More of what you like, plus a little bit of extra spice. Congratulations on 350 great episodes. Alright, we are back with episode 350 and thank you so much to the lovely Matt Gleason for that very kind message. As he mentioned, he visited Tasmania, he gave us a shout, he's a proud Patreon supporter as he said, and so we made some time for him, we went to our friendly local pub and played games. Based off uh, your pressing of the buttons tonight, wouldn't it be hilarious if during the edit later in the week you don't put it in during that thing <laughs> and people at the moment have no idea what you're talking about? But I'm the one doing the editing, Leon, so it'll be seamless. Yeah, you could very easily forget. And we also, we did forget to mention that we're brought to you by our good friends at LFG Australia. Go support them and give them money. I mean, give us Patreon money first because we create amazing content. The bestest episodes that we do. Well, Leon, you may have forgotten... But Garth and I and you didn't forget, because at the start of every episode, we remind everyone. Uh, well... you got baby brain there. Maybe right? you don't remember and you don't remember. Either way, it doesn't matter. But before Garth talks about a game, which is a thing that we do around here, we talk about games. We try. Uh, Garth, the genius that he is, record that, because you'll never hear it again. It's my new ringtone. Oh, we're not recording it unless Mark's pressed the button wrong. Um... <laughs> Garth, just on the fly, came up with a new feature after 350 episodes. Yeah, only took you 350. That's yeah. not bad, is it? How much do you need? 
Three, about 350. About 350, and he gets there in the end. We just thought, for giggles, we'd look at what the 350th game was on BGG, and what was it, Gar? It was Commit. Commit, a game that I absolutely love, and easily the best game in that series of games. Get stuff. By Country Mile. Get stuffed. Well, I know Mark would say Inish, but I think Commit's <laughs> edgy, personally. But I would say Foot. Inish. <laughs> Bring on segment. the new Cyclades Legendary Edition. But we will see. Anyway, 349, Chinatown. Mm. Why didn't we talk about that last episode? Because you weren't a genius last episode. You've only just kicked into that like now. Fine I'm just looking forward to some that. upcoming episodes because there's some amazing games to talk about. Now, Garth. Yes. Speaking of amazing games and speaking of Sand on a Beach, which we may have earlier in the episode because we were talking about this particular game. Um... Tell us about this particular game. Well, take yourselves back, boys, to when you were on a beach. You know, it's been a while. You're on a beach, and you're on a beach designed by Grégoire Lager, Frank Critton, and Sebastian Pouchon. I avoid them because there's this thing called the ozone layer, except in Tasmania there's not. And so if I go near them, I'm like all red and crispy. Does it still count as a beach if there's kind of sand, but it's pretty much completely 100% covered in goose and duck poop? Because in which case, I took my son to a beach a few days ago. There you go. To feed the geese and the ducks around the beach. Excellent. That we're in the bog. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this beach uh, is a beach in Maui, which is Hawaii, but let's call it Maui. Uh, this is a game about competitive beach towel placement. I mean, that's mm, going off. Is it? Is it not a theme and a half? So look, every every player has their own little bit of uh, beach that they put in front of themselves. There's going to be slots for your beach towels and there's a big bag of towels. Each towel is tri-coloured in one of five different colours and patterns. So there's, you know, there's red and they might have a fish pattern on them and there's a blue which kind of looks like waves and da 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 so the goal of this game, which is played out over a series of rounds, is that you're going to be constructing your beach where you're building it from left to right. You have a starting beach towel that has to go in a particular orientation and it's drawn randomly from the bag. And you're going to be going from left to right where at least one of the colours of the towel that you place next to it has to be the same as the previous towel. Now, you're going to get more points for having more of the colours match but more importantly, your own little bit of beach has different score levels depending on how close to the water or how far back from the water you've managed to match your patterns. So there's a middle section where if you match two colours, you know, you, you put one towel next to it and it matches the colour, you get a point. Whereas if you go right up to the edge on one of these extremities, you're going to get three points for each of those. But it's more challenging than that because if you've got your towels right at the edge, you need the same orientation of your beach towel to have the same colour, which is reducing your options, that that's going to happen. But what if, Garth, you go over the edge? Oh, man. Well, I'll let you know what happens when you, know, when you go over the edge. Little hint, it involves a token. Ooh. But where are you going to get these beach towels from? You're going to get them from the beach towel market. Now, there's always going to be six beach towels. That's silly of us. Every beach has a beach towel market. There's always going to be six um, beach towels available in the public domain. They are worth zero, one, or two very elegantly named sand dollars. Mm. And everyone's going to start with one. And basically, you can take any of the zero dollar ones for free. 
or you can pay a sand dollar to get the one dollar ones or two sand dollars to get the two dollar ones obviously that's giving you more options but at the cost of sand dollars which at the end of the game one sand dollar equals a victory point so sand dollars are they like real money because yes i was just thinking that beach better have my money hey <laughs> how it. much money uh, a sand dollar Oh, not three fifty. A free fifty. I get it because people $3 go and fifty cents. Because people go to beaches with metal detectors and they find money. That's what mm. you just did. You weren't, you weren't just, you know, you disguising son of a beach. You weren't disguising a swear there, Mark. We couldn't Never. do that on this show. Never. We are gentlemen around here. So it seems like it's quite straightforward. You get some towels, you line them up, and you get some points. Well, all of that is straightforward, except there's a couple of little wrinkles Ooh. in your beach towel. Well, I hope not. Smooth it out. Well. Or you pile up sand on the corners to hold it down. Oh, that, sounds... that, that could be a Kickstarter exclusive. <laughs> My skin is crawling just thinking about that. So what other thing is synonymous with beaches that is not beach towels? Crabs. Beach umbrellas. Octopuses. Oh. We'll get to that. Jelly, jellyfish. So on everyone's individual player board, there are spots for eight umbrellas. And every player gets eight umbrella tokens. On the underside of those umbrella tokens are some things so you'll place the umbrellas randomly on the spots that they're assigned seagulls and you will then if you are able to place your beach towel on a spot that would otherwise cover up the umbrella you flip it over and you'll either see that it's a one of the two types of pearl and pearls are kind of like dumplings in sushi go where if you get three of the one color it's worth nine points if you get two of them it's worth five you get one it's worth one so you want to try and get the most number of pearls there's two different types or there is a beach towel symbol and that's going to allow you to go up on one of the five scoring tracks mm. which i haven't even mentioned no, yet you have not because the other thing that you do when you beat place your beach towel is you're getting the one two or three points depending on how far to the extremity of the, the beach you're getting it. But that's not points. That's moving you up one of the five colour tracks relating to the colour that you've just matched. And that starts at, you know, the first time you get on there might give you three victory points at the end of the game. And then it goes up and up and up and up and up. And they have a maximum where there's not an even distribution of points. So you might want to choose one colour over the other colour. But if you can ever get yourself to the end of any of those tracks, that's where the big points come in. You might be able to you know, maximise yellow and get 13 points, or you might be able to maximise another one and get 18 or 20 points at the end of the game. Big, big points. So you want to lay your beach towels out in the nice order so that it at least matches one colour. You want to ideally do it either really close to the water or really far away to the water to make sure they're worth three points each, which means three going up on the same colour track. You want to get the pearls. And all you got to do is make sure that you can afford to do that every single time. <laughs> Otherwise, you're only going to have the $0 beach towels to choose from. But what happens if I can't? Well, instead of placing a beach towel, I can take from either of the two available stacks beach money, beach dollars. Because whenever you pay a beach money, beach dollar to get a towel, it goes back into the central pile. There are two piles because there's two rows of beach towels and the dollar goes on the pile that you've, the, the row that you've chosen from. So you can take those and that's going to give you cash, which is also victory points. But what it means is that you've got one less opportunity to place a towel. Because if someone can go the whole game without having to sort of use a turn to, to get money, the game will end once they've placed their last towel and you'll have maybe a slightly richer beach because you've got some beach dollars but it's not going to be laden with towels like mm. the other one now that can be a tiebreaker if you've got the same number of points and you've got less towels you'll win but that's it 
It's a real simple game. And it's one of those. It's one of those games that sort of slots into Takedo. That sort of Sunday afternoon. I'm not too fussed about playing something that's too heavy and too competitive. It is super duper family friendly, which I really, really love. My kids and, and my partner really enjoy this one. The box, which is really quite small, has a beautifully fitting insert that manages to fit the big bag of tiles because there's 60 quite sizable um, beach towel tiles. You've got the beach dollars in there. You've got all your player bits and pieces. It fits in really nicely. Mm. Uh, this game is actually surprisingly really good. And I... I may have dozed off for a second, Garth, but did you mention how you can match more than one and therefore you can go up on multiple score tracks at the same time? No, I didn't. I just thought that our listeners would, would grasp that concept already. Because uh, it's a very clever because sometimes, you know, you want to get the towel that's going to let you move into the higher scoring zone. So you almost like got one end of one towel against one end of another. But then other times you're like, well, I can get two matches here and I can score double, but I'm, then I'm not going to get out of the those lower scoring zones. So there's a little bit going on here. It's a mm. clever little game. And I'm really chuffed that um, we were provided this game. Yes, we were. And look, it was Plan B games that provided it mm. to us. So that was really nice of, of Plan B to do that. And, and I do really just... I think it's one of those games almost that is flying under the radar a little bit because it's maybe like the theme isn't really super exciting well know? interesting i i can't remember if it was cancon or i just saw a few different people had posted on facebook saying they were playing it i sort of felt like it was actually getting a little bit of buzz as Ooh. as a game where Look, you know, the theme's not fantastic. It's not really a thematic game. There's more theme in this than there is in Cat in a Box. <laughs> God damn. How I don't know. dare you. But for people who like their non-thematic abstract games, this scratches a very, very nice itch. It is not non-thematic. I tell you what is a non-thematic abstract game is probably Acropolis. And Acropolis is still a good abstract game. But it doesn't have oh, like God. you're building, you're building cities in acropolises. Yeah, but you're not. You're building tiles Acropoli. that work I think this actually has much more of a theme than that particular game. The player board absolutely is a beach. Mm. Your tokens are clearly beach towels. You are using beach umbrellas and what is more thematic, sand dollars. It doesn't have double-sided board technology, does it? It does. Well, there you go. Because it comes with an expansion, which is called the Sand Crab Expansion. Leon, you did talk about getting crabs at the beach last time. I know, and, I often do. And essentially, that is an expansion that allows you to... don't know whether I'd do this, but it allows you to play the full game and then just keep playing again. Because you then can get bigger and better scores for the various towels and if and instead of trying to put your towel over an umbrella spot to be able to get the bonus of the umbrella you're trying to avoid the spots where the crabs are on the board so it's giving you a bit more of a challenge to sort of get your get your towels to match the colors while avoiding the crabs, which are all worth, I think, negative points. That is very true. They would give you a nasty nip on your towel or on your toe or... Or on your something else. What have you. Mm. Well, that's how you get crabs in the first place. Well, as we said with the last game, I think this is another game where the production value is really great. It looks good. They haven't gone oversized on the box, which is fantastic. And it's certainly... It'll scratch some itches 
not just the itches that come from having sand in the places that are uncomfortable and difficult to get at. Right, but how good is that cold shower after you've come back from the beach and you extricate all that sand? <laughs> oh, can you ever... There's nothing better. Can you ever fully get it out? <laughs> not at the beach, you'll be arrested. <laughs> Judge that for yourself. Not, not the beaches Mark goes to. Everyone does that at the beach oh, Mark goes to. He very much looks the type that goes to those beaches. Oh, yeah. no. Don't Anywho. Go uh, but as you said, it's a great family game. The game can play this for any age um but also it's not overly expensive either so in australian terms this is less than 50 bucks pretty much anywhere you're going to pick mm. it up at any time you've got a game where you can and it's a relatively sizable table filler as well yeah for less than 50 bucks yeah it's not like the most in-depth game in the world but it's still a decent family game with decent components for that price which when anytime you can do that like say in the you know tradition of your, you know your machikora or other games that escape me at the moment but for that price point it's definitely worth having a crack at that's for sure oh i agree and i think it's one of those games that will absolutely get families to the table yeah you know you can easily play this with kids or grandparents or anything it's it's so rules light and unlike a lot of other abstract games the theme actually does help mm. it really does assist in the teaching of the game and that's like the last thing i did want to mention is leon what if you go too extreme and go too far off well you can still place your towel but on the bits of the towel that go over the edge, you have to place a minus one point token on it. What did you call me a second ago? I thought, uh, an extreme towel. I've been over here thinking of some sort of son of a beach joke the entire time. <laughs> just slipped me by completely because I didn't see that one coming out of nowhere. Well, it's okay because I think it's time to move on in episode Tree Fitty. Yeah. I need about Tree Fitty. What's Tree Fitty? $3.50. He's found the button and he's proud of himself. Good boy. Hey, this is Stephen Bonacore of Stronghold Games, and you're listening to The Dice Men Cometh with Mark, who is the real Tasmanian devil. All right, we are back. What episode number is it, Garth? Oh, God. It's about. It's about 350. 350. Yes. And we're coming towards the end of 350, but before we do, Leon. Hello. Everyone, and I mean everyone, because it's not like you ever shut up about it. Everyone <laughs> knows you are a massive comic nerd. Oh, I certainly am. And anyone who is everyone who's ever listened to even one episode of this podcast would know that among your favourite comics are those men and women of X, the X-Men. I don't know why you keep saying that, because this has nothing to do with the X-Men. They just happen to be in it. Well, they are part of the Marvel Universe, and cool. in case you didn't notice, Leon... I like the Flash in that, yeah? Remix has an X in it, you see? Yeah, so all the cool... Remixmen. All the cool kids from the 90s would know all about it. Uh, but yes, Marvel Remix is a game that we've played recently, and uh, I thought I'd want to talk about it. Because... And the X-Men are coming back in the Marvel Universe. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I'm so excited, I choked up. That's good. I hope I hope they do it well, because the comics are kicking goals these days, so we'll see how we go from there. Maybe they'll make Wolverine an appropriate height this time. Hugh Jackman being his six-foot-tall strong. Wrong, as I tell you. So you reckon Tom Cruise should play Wolverine? He's probably a bit too tall, to be honest with you. Well, he's probably, uh, Danny DeVito? He'd be yeah. better to play Wolverine than he would to play Jack Reacher. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Anyway, anyway Leon. Who will get to play Remix, Wonder Woman again? What Marvel Remix is, 
It is a re-implementation of a game that came out a few years ago by the name of Fantasy Realms. I don't know uh-huh. if you've heard of it, but that was a game. Uh, and this game of Marvel Remix, as well as Fantasy Realms, uh, by WizKids Games, it plays between two to six players. It takes about 15, 20 minutes. It takes less than that by a country mile to learn as you're about to find out. Uh, best with three or four, as we discovered when we played it recently. Uh, it was designed by Bruce Glasgow. Now, the name might not ring a bell. However, you've pretty much anybody listening to this has probably played one of the games he's helped design because he was the person that helped, uh, I believe he was the lead designer, on the second edition of Betrayal at House on the Hill. Uh... And the second edition is the one that we've all played, the big old green box. and There's like a third edition yeah. right now. Uh, but he was one of the lead designers on that. And then, so this is his own game, uh, Fantasy Realms was. And now Marvel is a version of this, which is slightly different. He also did a Star Trek version of this called Star Trek Missions, which is very v- similar to this game as well. So it's one of those ones where they've kind of gone, oh, we like these mechanics, let's pump out lots of different themes. Mm. So you could argue that, you know, does that make it non-thematic or not? Well, you be the judge when you find out what you've got to do. Now so it's this- still more thematic. <laughs> so on the... You quite... You, uh, you and your beach towels, for God's sake. Anyway, so what you Stop do... Stop beaching about it, Garth. I'm not. So... What you do in this game is that you've got a hand of cards and they're going to be various different types of cards. It's going to be heroes and allies and locations and equipments and maneuvers all from the Marvel Universe. Mm. And all you're doing in this game is trying to have the best hand of cards in your hand at the end of the game. And obviously any X-Men, they would be the best, wouldn't they? Of course, naturally. Cyclops being the best of them. Which no. I, I will not hear any debate over whatsoever. Uh, ching! Anywho. Ching! No. Three fingers. You've, you've all been spoiled by media is what you've done. Oh, no, our fans just turned off. I'm concerned now. Oh, I was on a timer, that's why. Anywho. So what you're going to do in your game is very, very simple. Like I said, you're going to have a hand of cards. You're going to try to get the most points you can out of this hand of cards. So on your turn, you're going to do one of three things. That might sound complicated, so much more complicated than the cat in a box by thrice, but it's not. Because what we're going to do, there's going to be two decks in front of you. One is going to be the remix deck, one is going to be the villain deck. What you can do on your turn is draw a card from the remix deck, and then you put one in the discard. That's one action. Okay, I understand that so far. The other one is draw a card from the villain deck, <gasps> and then put a card in the discard pile. Ah. The third thing is, you can take a card from the discard pile. What? Which is more like a discard tableau in this game. And you can put that into your hand, and then Ooh. discard a card. To where? To the discard pile. What? What? Yes. The multi This is the a multiverse of discard pile. For some reason, if you really love the hand you've got, you can pick up a card from the discard pile and put that same card back in the discard pile. That's the top of craziness we're talking about here in the Marvel universe. Wow. So what you're trying to do, like I said, you're trying to do lots of different combos and engine buildy things with the cards that are in your hand, and naturally, thematically, Garth, I hear you looking at me like that. <laughs> Lots of things like your X-Men, your Fantastic Four, your Avengers, your, your Wakandan heroes, your Spider-Folk, they all kind of work together and kind of pair to each other in certain ways. Like, you know, this card will say, if you have other members of this certain team, you get excess points. And they have different symbols on the side of them as well, which indicate these different type of things. Yeah, well, I managed to, in one game, get Charles Xavier and Xavier Mansion and Cerebro. Yes. And all of those things had something to do with each other. Yes. And I got some points from that. They do, but we don't have enough time for me to explain to you all the things that they have in common with each other. So if I, if I can get a cat lady and a bat person and a robin, 
then... You'll be playing a different version of this game probably coming out next year. DC Deck Builder, maybe. Yes, possibly. <laughs> Anywho, so at the end of the round, the way this game is going to end is when there are 10 cards in the discard pile. So like I said, on your turn, you're picking up a card and discarding a card, so it's naturally going to fill up pretty quickly. But you can take cards from that discard pile and put one back down, hence the pile gets no bigger. So you might be trying to elongate this game, you might be trying to get it through quicker. A bit of extra strategy thrown in there. Mm. But what you do need to make sure is at the end of the game, you need to have one hero in your hand, and you need to have one villain in your hand. Otherwise, you don't score anything at all. Damn. Which would be very, very bad. And the reason is for that is because they're trying to make it... What's the word, Garth? Thematic. Thematic. Because you're scoring different points for your different combos, but to have heroes and villains in your cards, you kind of build a little story when you put the cards out. You go, oh, I see the X-Men are fighting Kingpin. That doesn't normally happen too much, but as you can see, they went to this location and they went to Asgard for some reason and Kingpin was there (laughs) doing some sort of shady deal. It was very, very weird. Kevin Kevin Feige can organise anything, can't he, these days? (laughs) Feige, Feige, Feige. What? Kevin Feige. Feige. Feige, that guy. Yes. Oh my god. So that is the game. You are so with it. That that is the game. That is what you do in this game. It says it takes up to, takes um, twenty minutes. I'd argue it's even quicker than that. Yeah. And look, the good thing about this game is it is so easy. Yeah. But it's also the cards that look that the art is fantastic on yes. these cards. If if you're into your comic y type books and sort of pictures of things. Which is nice. It's pictures of things. Most people are into pictures of the things. The novels of graphicness. But it's also got words, which allows you to understand what the cards do. But more importantly than both of those things, it's got the symbols that you need to know in order to generate your combos. So each of the genres of heroes and villains, you know, whether they be Asgardian, Wakandan, X-Menian, or whatever the thing is, they all have their own symbols. They've all got different location types. They've all got different abilities and what have you on there. Uh, and I also like that some of the cards have sort of a, a basic and then a super-powered version. Yes. Like there's a Thor card, but if you manage to get Mjolnir, yes. his ha- hammer, he becomes Super Thor or King Thor or Th- Th- yes. and then Thor instance, gets his hammer out, he becomes Big Thor. That's right. And then, for instance, there's these crazy double-sided cards. Well, they're not double-sided, they're a picture of a character on the bottom and top of the card. So, for instance, the Hulk and Bruce Banner is one card where you have the Bruce Banner card in your hand, not the Hulk, but it does say that if you get certain amount of other symbols, more you know, the big power strength symbols, he then turns into the Hulk and scores you more points. So it's different like little stuff like that. You're playing an own little game in your hand while trying to, you know, mitigate how quickly you want to get this game over with, as well as seeing what else people put in the discard and take out and whatnot. Now, I was reminded of Marvel Legendary, because that was another big collection that you had, Leon, but I know you've recently got rid of it. Mm-hmm. But... The symbols in that game and the symbols in this, they're not the same, are they? No, they're not the same. Well, that wasn't WizKids for a start. Yeah. That was um, Upper Deck. But yes, they're very similar in that, like I said, that you've got the you know your Wakandans, your mutants, your so forth. But then you've also got things like your flight characters, your range characters, your tech, your yeah. strength. Very similar in that kind of yeah, vein, okay. the things that you can pick up. Because I did think thematically that, of course, it makes sense that, you know, when the X-Men have got a whole bunch of other X-Men... They're really powerful, and I liked how that worked in the game. But then, then I'm going to go on negative and say there, you know, there were the cards where it was like, if you have this one other card, and yes, it's not a massive deck. And we did find this recently. I don't know if you remember, we played that little game about dwarves, Kingless. Mm. And probably my biggest complaint about that game 
is that there were lots of cards that referred to one other card. And in that game, the deck was quite humongous. So the chance of you locating that one other card to, to activate that special ability was very, very low. In this, it's not so low, but... Yes, because of it's the It's not discard Star Wars pile. or Solo. But yes, if that card isn't out in the discard pile, then it, it's that card in your hand, I guess, has very limited um, use. Yeah, look, I would say that you're absolutely right. The swinginess can be a thing, but the good thing is the game is so short that yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I'll give matter. it that. Like, you know, one of the games we played, I got dealt Thor and Molnir and either Asgard or Thor's sister, who was the was, villain. I think it was Jane Foster. Or something like that, yeah. So I had these things that all or combo together. Yeah, whatever the hell it was, it doesn't matter because it's all make-believe. But <laughs> the point is they got me more points. Yeah. And that was just, yeah. just I got them dealt luckily. And and again, if the game was longer, yeah. then it would matter. But you're over and done within five to ten minutes a lot of the time, so you just yeah. move on. But you've also got, like I said, you've also got a, the discard pile in the middle, which, you know, the game will end at ten cards, but it's normally probably going to sit around your five, six, yeah. seven, eight quite a bit. And if I have that certain cards you're talking about, Mark, there's a good chance I don't want it in my hand if I don't have the card that you have in your hand. So it's probably going to turn up yeah. there if it comes out into one of our hands. So it's probably more likely to come out than what you would think. And I will give it some kudos in that, like you said, there's the villain pile and you only... you. you have to have one, one villain just in the your one, hand? but you can have more because they will give you big points. Yeah, and that's the thing. However, is, they can give you negatives yeah. unless you meet certain criteria. That's what I was going to say. Is that you? You're tempted to go to that villain pile because you know if you can get the right combination, you can get a lot of points. But there, are, there is a downside. So it, 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 there is a little bit to think about. Yeah, and based off the fact that, like I said, this is a game that can take literally five, ten minutes, you could halfway through this game completely change the mm. strategy that you've had based off a couple of cards that come in a discard pile that, sorry, well, Mark's discarded them. He clearly doesn't want them. But the card I just picked up, which I thought was useless, now kind of works with mm. what he's just thrown. And then it just kind of goes from there. And every round we noticed that we all had completely different kinds of different cards in our hands. So the the replayability for this game, this was a game that we absolutely just kind of went, let's play it again. And I think we played it three times in a row, which for smaller games is what you want. You want that replayability. Another quick thing I need to mention is that um, the game that this is based off, um, your Fantasy Realms, that game did have an expansion for it, which had like magical items and stuff in it. So absolutely, you could add that to this at the drop of a hat because that was an extra deck you could draw from. And they were one-off things that did things like on your turn, draw two cards instead. Or on your turn, you don't have to discard a card. <gasps> so you have one extra card than everyone else for the rest of the game. However, they also had points on there that were positive or negative to take away the fact that, well, that seems unbalanced. Sure. So very, very clever. And hopefully if this game takes off, which I'd like to think that it would. Again, this game cost less than $30. Yes, it is just a deck of cards. But as Scout, we've mentioned a few times in the last few episodes, can cost like 50 bucks for just a deck of cards. And this has got your Marvel cool art on it. So you're going to get your family to play it at the drop of a hat. Has it got the Ninja Turtles? It could come out at any time. Although they are affiliated with DC, which is a different company, Garth. <laughs> Are they really? Yeah, DC and Turtles are hand in hand. Pretty oh, much. There you that. go. Well, I'm trying to make fun of stuff I don't even there's, understand. There's <laughs> definitely the opportunity for more IP with this, as we said. Look, we've just talked about not 350 games, but at least three games. In fact, exactly three games. All can we talk about half a game? Relatively now? short. Well, we sort of did. Um, all relatively short. 
but actually, look, I was pleasantly surprised at the amount of pleasantness and politeness and positiveness in this episode. Could it be that there's a magic number? I need, I need about three fifty. What's three fifty? Three dollars and fifty cents. Yeah, I'd say so, possibly. It could be that it's the magic of three hundred and fifty. The rule of three fifty. <laughs> Yes. Anyway, on that I, note, I think. Sorry, Garth, you were going to say? I will just say, let's get this over and done with. I don't want to hear that uh, audio anymore. <laughs> I think we've uh, we've played it to death. But look, it has been episode 350. And while it is a big number, and you know, doing this for nearly a year, a year, a decade, is scary to think that you know I'm getting closer to death and I'm 10 years closer to it than when we started. Mm. Uh, but this is amazing. And thank you to all our listeners, some of whom who have been around. As long as 350 episodes. We know who you are. We love you all. I wasn't even there from then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was great. Um, oh. But anyway, it's been episode 350. I've been Garth. He's been Mark and he's been Leon. And we are the Dice Men Cometh. What else is there to say? Oh, yeah. You've been listening to another episode of the Dice Men Cometh. Proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.